Jews would have stood any time that God's word is read. And before God's word was read, they would always recommit themselves uh, to God through the reciting of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 called the Shema. I'm going to do part of it in Hebrew and invite you to follow me. Then we'll do it in English together. So if you would follow me and repeat. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Here's what we said. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. Amen. Let's hear from God. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A couple of decades ago, those of us who were trying to stay up with trends in our world, things that not only were happening but would be happening, read John Naisbitt's book, Megatrends. You may have remembered that. In his book, he said this was one of the things that was coming true in our world. He said this. He said, we are drowning in information, but starving for knowledge. Now, that was more than a couple decades ago. And think about how the information uh, flow has only increased. When he was writing, there may have been 20 channels available to you on TV. Now there are hundreds. When he was writing, there was an Internet, but it was in its earliest days. Now we have Google where we can uh, find anything, including former pastors and classmates, people who have found me in the last couple of weeks. We can, in Wikipedia, learn most anything. And when most recently, we have been introduced to blogging. In 2005, there were 30 million-plus people giving their opinions on everything, through blogs, and that has only increased. In fact, you probably noticed our church has added to the mix uh, in recent days. But my question for all of you is this. With all the increased flow of information, what effect has it had on our life? How has it helped us in life? Has it brought more rest and relaxation to our life? A couple centuries ago, Benjamin Franklin postulated that with all the increases in technology and all the increases in information flow, Franklin guessed that one day we would only work four hours a week. Is that your work schedule? Has it brought us rest? Probably not. Has it brought peace to our world? At the turn of the century from the 19th and the 20th, it was popular for both religious and secular leaders uh, to believe that if we could just educate people a little bit more, we could educate them away from war. We could educate them away from hostility. And, of course, all their dreams came crashing down with the advent of World War I. And nations have fought continuously since that day. Has it brought us peace? Has it brought us better relationships? All the information that we have gained through the years. Has it improved the quality of our life with one another? Some of you have heard one of my favorite stories is there was a guy who was a pastor who was supposed to do a revival in the NASA area, uh, south of Houston. And so he did a little homework, and when he got up for his first sermon in this revival, he said these words, Houston, we have a problem. And he began to cite the fact that in the NASA area, the divorce rate, the suicide rate, 
the rate of depression and substance abuse was many times the national average. All that information. But it hadn't led to a better quality in their relationships. All the Bible studies, Disciple, Beth Moore, BSF, Pastor's Bible Study, surely that's led to a change in the body of Christ. And yet, if you look at the statistics that I've cited to you earlier in the year, attendance at churches among Christians is at an all-time low. Charitable giving, which um, when measured with uh, four decades ago, four decades ago, uh, 50% um, of every charitable dollar went to the church. Charitable dollars have not increased uh, once you adjust for inflation, but the percentage that are given to churches has dropped from 50% to less than a third. All the Bible studies, have they worked? My belief is this that we have more than enough information. What we need now is wisdom. Let me define wisdom for you as we walk into the Proverbs this summer. Wisdom is practical guidance from God. Practical guidance from God on how to live life. Practical guidance. That's what we need. And the source of most wisdom in, this, in the Old Testament comes in the book of Proverbs. I'll remind you some of the history of Proverbs. It is, according to tradition, written by King Solomon. Solomon became king uh, at a very young age. And so God appeared to Solomon one night and said, you can ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. And you may recall Solomon said, give me wisdom so that I can rule these people, your people, well. And Solomon became very wise and became powerful as well. And Solomon, according to tradition, wrote most of the Proverbs. They are wisdom, practical guidance for life. I love what Stephen Scott says about the Proverbs. He said, just as his friends who are pilots would not ignore the rules of aerodynamics, in the same way, he said, there are certain rules for life, and they are in the Proverbs. And to fly in their face or against them is to take our life into our own hands and put ourselves at great risk. Bill Hybel's observation on the Proverbs is this. They're not guarantees necessarily of how things will go in life, but they are a description of how things usually go in life. Usually, if you don't pay attention to advice, you get into trouble. There are usually, if you wander in uh, to the house of a prostitute, it will be bad for your marriage. It's normal stuff that will flow. This is the way life works. It's interesting to me that if you look at the history and of uh, leading Americans, a number of them spent much time, much time in the Proverbs in their early life. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Edison, Abraham Lincoln, all had a number of the Proverbs memorized. And of course, Jesus himself as a good Jew, would have had all of them memorized as well. Practical guidance and wisdom from God. That's what we need. And so this summer we're going to go to the Proverbs. And, and the first bit of wisdom I want to give you from the Proverbs this morning is simply this. How do you get wisdom? How do you get wisdom? And the author of Proverbs says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to get wisdom on how to live life, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Now, understand, fear is not necessarily terror. 
Because Paul, writing to the Romans in Romans 8, said, God didn't give you a spirit of, of, of terror and fear. Uh, a, a spirit of slavery, said Paul. God didn't, God's not in charge of those things. God didn't send that. He would later write to his true son, Timothy, son in the gospel. He'd say, God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity. So the way that we normally define fear may not be the most helpful way to think about the fear of the Lord. Think of the fear of the Lord as a reverence, as an awe, as a belief that God is above all, that God knows more than we know, can do more than we can do. And it starts with an attitude that places God above ourselves. And if that's so, then we're more than likely going to follow the practical advice that God gives. The key to all the wisdom that you will gain starts with your relationship with God. Get that right. Put God in God's proper place and other things will flow naturally. So one of the reasons that we've continued, uh, even when we finished with Moses, with saying the Shema together, because what the Shema does is it says that we believe that God is God and only God is God. And we're going to put our whole selves into following God. Well, if you repeat that and mean it, I assure you that wisdom will follow. Get this right. Everything else falls into place. A friend of mine talked about doing some work uh, far south of the, of the equator. And in this area, one of the things that they warn uh, people who come to do mission work and others who travel there, they warn them about a large boa constrictors that can eat people and have eaten people um, whole. And so in the U.S. Peace Corps manual, which they distribute to all the mission workers, it gives some advice as to what you do if you run into one of these large man-eating boa constrictors. The first piece of advice is this, don't try to outrun the boa constrictor. You can't. Second piece of advice is to get perfectly still. The third piece of advice is tuck in your chin. The fourth piece is let the boa begin to swallow you up to your waist. The fifth piece of instruction is, then take out your knife and slit its throat. And the sixth piece of advice they give in the manual is, don't forget your knife. Well, when it comes to wisdom from God, don't forget your knife. It all starts with your relationship with God. And if you don't have that, anything else that follows is not going to do you very much good. We were in a town where three of the disciples, according to Scripture, were raised as little boys, and we were imagining when we were in Israel that that they ran up and down these streets, which I assume they did. But one of the interesting things is that the synagogues would have a school to train young boys, and they would teach them all the subjects we would learn. They would learn math, the science of their day, the history of their people. And they would learn them all, though, using the scriptures. The Bible was their only textbook, the the scrolls of the Torah. And they could even teach math doing it. And the reason they did it is this. They said that for their students, they would be better off believing that 2 plus 2 is 5 with God than believing 2 plus 2 is 4 without God. They knew where it all started. All wisdom starts first with a commitment to the God who gives wisdom. And then the wisdom begins to flow. Christian author Dallas Willard puts it this way, that we must come to believe that Jesus is not only the greatest teacher and smartest teacher who ever lived, but that Jesus knows more about our particular field than any other person alive. So that we're always in relationship with him, whether it's teaching or medicine or ministry or 
science, whatever field that we're in, we recognize that he knows more about it than we do. And we keep the relationship with him first and central. It is this relationship with God, this fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. And everything else will flow from that. So as we come to the Proverbs this summer for practical guidance on how to live our life, let me make two suggestions. The first one is this. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you feel like you you have not made God the center of your life, if you've not really given God all your heart and your soul and your might, if you don't know that you're loved unconditionally in Christ and that he's with you and walks with you daily, then I hope that you will come at the close of the service and find one of the prayers Stephen ministers or the pastors so that we can pray with you about that because that's the knife that you need if you're going into the jungle of this world. You start there. Second thing is this. There are 31 Proverbs, 31 chapters of Proverbs, rather. 31 days in July, 31 in August. If you read a chapter a day, we can read through the Proverbs three times this summer. Now, granted, we're eight, eight days behind today. But, but you, can, you can get it in gear. And you can make that up. And by the end of the summer, if you've read all the Proverbs over three times, let's just see if they begin to sink into your life. That you'll begin to live the guidance that God has given. I'm reminded of the story I've told you before. In the 1930s, there was a barnstorming uh, air, air show that went from town to town. One town, though, they picked up a new edition. And the pilot was doing his tricks with the plane. There was an old man watching all the tricks with this plane. And he, he turned to people he didn't know, a, a younger a child with his father, and he, he expressed his concern. He said, that plane's going to be in trouble. It's going to crack up. It's not made to do those things. He kind of ignored the old man and watched with delight as the plane went through some other maneuvers. And then suddenly the plane did begin to crack apart and tragically went shooting down to the ground. In the midst of the chaos that followed, the little boy turned to the older man and said, how did you know that plane was going to crack up? And the old man said solemnly, I designed it. The designer of life knows how life works best we can this summer begin to fly with the rules that he has given or we can try to fly in their faith